0: Protect your wooden clarinet and get the most out of your reeds with Bovida two-way humidity control packs. Watch until the end of this video to learn more. Then head to bovidainc.com and use code CLARINEAT at checkout to save 10% on your next purchase of Bovida products. Okay, everyone listening. So thank you for tuning in. It looks like we've got a couple live people today checking out the CLARINEAT live podcast, which is great. Uh, This is a learning experience for everyone involved, including me. I've just recently within two episodes switched the podcast to a live version this is the second one learned a couple things last time my mic was too hot so sorry about that if you listen to that episode i'm trying to fix the audio problems and also i realized i gotta look at the camera if i'm talking to the audience so uh, i got my guests here on my huge wide screen and my questions and all sorts of stuff but if i'm talking to the audience there's the camera i should be looking at that lesson learned. <laughs> anyway, so we do have a fantastic guest today, Tommaso Longquish, who is an international soloist and uh, many other things, actually, chamber musician. He's done all kinds of stuff with music, but he's recently also added a second career path, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, since we last talked in 2017, I believe it was, so amazingly five years ago, which I, I can't really believe, back when the podcast was in double digits still. Um, so much has changed. You're also a father now, and I'm a father of two children in that time. So it's, it's, uh, everything has changed. So I can't wait to discuss uh, not only kind of a life update from Tommaso, but to hear about his new uh, and second career path, which it sounds like uh, is, is probably not something you'd expect at all, um, but also just about being a father and, and juggling all these life commitments, which is surely something that I am uh, experiencing myself. So Tommaso, welcome back to the program.
1: Great to be back with you, Sean.
0: So I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. As I said, let's just dive in kind of for an update. I mean, I can't believe it's been five years, half a decade. It it literally feels like yesterday that we last talked. So
1: uh, how
0: is it going? And tell me about your your being a father and your new career path and everything that's happened in that time.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot happened, right, in the world, but also in our personal lives, of course. Um, Yeah, I guess, uh, of course, fatherhood was one thing. It coincided with the pandemic for me. Um, So it actually uh, was both a little unnerving uh, and at the same time, it made the pandemic time uh, uh, kind of beautiful with uh, with the little daughter on the way. Um, So that was a part of it. Another silver lining that uh, came with the, the pandemic was the fact that a lot of things moved on Zoom. Uh, which was of course not so pleasant for us musicians to play for microphones uh <laughs> or to you know to have so few events to uh, so few live events uh but for me one of the positive things is that I could continue uh an education uh, a training that I had started uh back in 2010 uh to become a, a lacanian psychoanalyst um and I had started that when I was in madrid uh living there and there was a very good training center there Uh, And then I had to interrupt that that uh, passion and that career path um, because my well, my life took me elsewhere with music and and, uh, the places where I was living uh, didn't have that same uh, kind of training uh, possibilities available Um, with the pandemic also came mm, the possibility of continuing that education because my actually my very same old school that I had studied and uh, began to offer all the courses um, also online. So I could actually continue and do my second, third and fourth year of specialization. Uh, and I'm I'm finishing that in these weeks, in the uh, end of June, I'll be done with, uh, with the full specialization. So that's something that was uh, one of the things that was unexpected. Uh, together with the pandemic came also this possibility to expand a little bit in another direction. Um, yeah. That this, this is in a nutshell
0: <laughs> yeah it's a lot has changed and you know what when we last talked there's no way we could have even guessed all the changes that would happen in the next five years i mean not to mention you know personal and family changes but like the whole the whole world and i mean it's i'll never forget just before the new year in 2019 end of 2019 i put out some episode about how to make 2020 your best year ever or something and it was the last time i made like a solo episode <laughs> like that because i was like i don't want to look what happened did i <laughs> did i somehow Ooh. cause all this it's crazy because um, I don't know many people who 2020 was their best year ever. Surely not. <laughs> so, yeah. um, But you're right. There's been so much kind of perspective shift for many. Um, there's been a lot of people who have segued into, I don't want to say double lives, but they do have multiple opportunities and different careers now. Because maybe over the pandemic, they started up a secondary business um, just to get by or to pursue a new interest or 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 even just to focus more on family, I suppose. But I mean, I know musicians who are now realtors. I know musicians who are now baking sourdough bread to, to supplement their income with like a subscription service that works out pretty well for them, actually. So it's, it's been very interesting for a lot of people. They, they've really kind of changed their, their ways. Um, but becoming a psychoanalyst, this is a totally different level of taking that uh, to the next level. So could you just walk me through like what is that? I mean, I'm not that familiar with this entire branch of education, of course, but what does that look like as a job day to day? Like, what is the the path that would become of that that study? And um, where do you yeah. see yourself kind of in five years as far as balancing your music career with this, this secondary uh, career that you've added?
1: Right. Well, as any job that you have kind of in the mental health uh, side of things, uh, you are dealing with patients uh, coming in. In my case, it would be private practice, but it can be also uh, in a psychiatric hospital setting or in other um, public settings. Uh, people that come in with all kinds of problematics. Uh, and uh, and of course, the job of any psychotherapist or psychoanalyst or psychiatrist is to try to find a solution together with, obviously, uh, within different schools and different uh methods and different uh, orientation um yes in a way it's quite dissimilar from music um there are many differences on the other side it's not so dissimilar in that uh of course it has to do with uh in a certain way listening to a score uh or even reading a score uh, when the patient comes in um with their narrative with their life story with their problems aims wishes desires and so on uh they are laying in front of us uh therapists a kind of uh a kind of score i really think of it that way and it's the capacity of the listener to uh, to offer the silence and the uh, very attentive uh listening capability which allows this to unfold um and to and to become something of meaning and of change for the person uh, in this case, on the, on the couch in analysis. Um, so it is about bringing out, um, uh, the subjectivity of the people that come to us. Um, and in that way, I think it's not so dissimilar from music, especially the teaching of music where, um, I always try to work together with a student so that we may let something be born, which wasn't there before, and which is very specific to the meeting place between that young artist and uh, the composer. But that's not mm, standardized, um, repeatable, or uh, in in a series. Uh, it's really something that's born out of that student, their life story, their aesthetics. Um, so I think there is a, something of a, um, honoring the subjectivity of the people that uh, come to see uh, an analyst, which is uh, similar to the subjectivity that we honor when we make music.
0: I love that. It's a fascinating way of looking at it. And I I almost wonder if, if more people who go into healthcare or or other facets of psychology and psychoanalysts, things like this, if they would benefit from musical training, because I, as I as you're talking, I realized that your experience as a musician, both as a performer but also as a as a audience member and and collaborator is involves so much listening mm-hmm. and that's so important and and it's interesting to hear you talk about how the the person is almost like a score too. It reminds me of one of Glenn Gould's quotes, probably my favorite quote um, was something like uh in the ideal world, there's no need for art because the person's life would be their canvas and that would be art or something like that mm-hmm. and that's it's it's very true i mean if, if people if you look at it like that from that sort of artistic perspective you're helping people improve their own like life as an art form that's so cool that's so commendable.
1: Yeah there is a sense in which the framework of the of the psychoanalytic office is a place where that can unfold uh where there is a, a complete openness by the therapist hopefully um to to anything and everything which the person uh, might bring with them which is uh, of course includes especially things that they don't want to admit about themselves, things that they don't want to see, things that uh, uh, most of society doesn't want to see about each of us. And and that's a place which is very, uh, very accepting, very safe. And and for that reason, I think it is uh, a special um, setting and something that ought to be preserved uh, in times where judgment is uh, ever present, also on social media. And uh, it's a world which is um, seemingly very liberal and open, but uh, in reality, the the insult the um, the uh, ostracizing is behind the corner
0: so we've talked about kind of the musical elements that go into your new line of work but what about the inverse have you noticed how any of the, what you've learned and and worked towards is affecting your music in return
1: sure sure i think very much but i'm not sure that these are differences that uh The audience member that listened to me over their years can perceive, or uh, Mm. it definitely has changed the way that uh, deeply the way that I approach music and the way that I perceive the stage. But that's also part of uh, that's beyond the theoretical training and the clinical training to become an analyst. That's also simply the result of one's own analysis because uh, to become a psychoanalyst, one has to undergo several years of uh, analysis of one's own and that means that of course uh you you are constantly in touch uh, with who you are who you were uh, who you might become um and that's a kind of a an in, a very interesting process it can be unnerving can be uh depressing at moments uh, can be very exhilarating at others and uh, but it definitely changes your subjective position with regards to uh professional life to family life etc this this is something extremely personal and subjective so i cannot speak in general but i can say that um, my relationship to the stage has changed it is more relaxed in a certain way uh, without uh, having given up uh, i think i hope um, a a kind of um, um, extreme interest in uh, bringing out the the meaning that uh I suppose the, each composer was trying to include in, in with that ink. Um, so, But yeah, definitely things change. Uh, I think whenever anyone adds another side to the musical profession, uh, in this case perhaps more because psychoanalysis goes to touch really the course of one's being, including in our case as, as musicians, for instance, why am I a musician? What, what am I doing here? Um, yeah. which is something which was anyway, I think tested for all of us very much. So during the pandemic, uh, months and then years, uh, what are we, what are we to, what are we without a stage for instance, uh, are we needed in society when it seemed, uh, um, especially at the beginning that we were dispensable. Um, so I think that for me simply coincided with this, with this, uh, um, thinking about our role
0: i love all that and i'm bursting with questions i'm trying to think of exactly which direction to to take this here but maybe a good one is um like i'm imagining as a musician that you might wonder about some of the people who wrote the music in the past like do you find that your new knowledge of 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 uh you know this whole field has made you wonder about the 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 frame of mind or the the composers themselves behind some of these pieces of music like Certain works like Tchaikovsky 4, for example, seem probably to come from a, a world of depression or anxiety or not to mention, you know, Beethoven losing his hearing and and just these these kind of behind the scenes um, psychological turmoil that so many artists seem to go through. I mean, I find myself wondering if they had had access to better, you know, treatment or health care like this um, Oh, would we, we, might not had, or
1: what? we might not yeah, have I had would... great great symphonies.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean like what's, I don't really know what my question is, but like I guess how do you reflect back on you're talking about the past of music, I mean, and the interpretation of music with this sort of newfound career and knowledge path. Right. I mean
1: I think I think for me it uh, it mostly augmented mm, even more my respect for the for the score, for, for what comes not not just the printed score, but everything which feeds into it, Yeah, all the context, uh, for instance, of performance practice, of uh, musicological knowledge around the printed music, um, everything which goes there, which allows me to um, bring the music alive with, of course, with my subjectivity involved, it's, uh, there would be no other way to do it. Yeah. But always to begin from the from from what i believe that the gestures mean uh in the same way as if somebody would be putting up a, a shakespeare play or something like this we would really go from the words and try to to catch all the double meanings and all the context of the Elizabethan uh, situations and i think um, as an analyst you you try to extract yourself as much as possible from the patient's life it's it's not precisely a matter of empathy Um, because empathy can be very deceiving, you know. We could think that uh, we are empathic with somebody, but we're actually um, kind of going after our own meanings and our own memories and our own uh, triggers rather than what the patient's life uh, is and their own feelings. And I think that's the risk sometimes as we interpret music that one can um, drown out or saturate the score with one's own feelings which is great if, if they're somehow connected, if they find a place within the architecture of the piece uh, as it was conceived. analysis helped me, for instance, I think, to accept certain idiosyncrasies of uh, specific composers or specific works, things that are really special and found only in a, in a particular piece, for instance, which are really strange and unusual, um, which maybe I would have tried to hide or gloss over uh, even a certain notes which might be different, which people tend to adjust to to make everything more traditional or more uh, predictable, now I'm more um, open to the possibility that, that life is full of strange things and people are very different from one another and there might be plenty of uh, uh, hints within a score that something ought to be performed without uh, smudging the corners or, or hiding a certain degree of strangeness or meaning that the composer had put there. You know within the psychiatric and uh, psychoanalytic uh, literature of course there are favorites i mean some people come up over and over again of course i I cannot count the the uh, articles and books written about schumann's condition diagnostic uh guesses about what schumann's uh condition might have been if bipolar disorder schizophrenia um result, results of syphilis and but and of course tchaikovsky etc. you know there are uh, there are plenty of things you can go and try to diagnose uh, past historical figures with an artist and so on. Um, I'm not sure that's that's super interesting. That that's, I think that's that can be quite deceiving when you don't have the person in front of you. Yeah,
0: totally. Um,
1: so and also I, I do believe that notes uh, and scores um, the same as uh, paintings by an artist they are in a world of their own in a certain way you know they begin to walk with their own two legs uh once uh uh once they leave the the parental <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh ink yeah so yeah
0: um
1: but yeah it's it's a big topic and it's a good question because it's a question i grapple with every day how how are these two sides of my uh um, these two passions and now these two career paths influencing one another
0: well, it's so funny to hear you talk and maybe I actually just realize something about myself I've been trying to figure out. And that is, um, so my, one of my things I started over the pandemic was I've had like some songwriting projects I've worked on for years and never got anywhere. But I decided to try and actually bring them to fruition, sort of. <laughs> so, um, but I've had, I've been talking with the person I'm working with, like the songwriting teacher, I guess um about this i'm like i don't understand because i've performed so much over the years and like i put myself out there and do all these things but like i have a severe anxiety about playing these for people Mm -hmm. and we couldn't really get to the bottom of it but you just made me realize i think that it's because i've been on the performing side of the music and this is my first side on the true creation side you know being vulnerable in that way not performing Mm -hmm. someone else's and i I guess what you're saying is that the, the composer's emotions you're responsible as the performer not to kind of color it with your emotions but to Interpret their emotions and what they were, and that's really interesting to me. Yeah, because you're right. That for me now, trying to be a songwriter in a way and, and work on these projects, or it's very different than performing a piece of clarinet music that was written by somebody else. Where I'm trying to, sure.
1: I find the the, the super interesting um, situation happens when you've got a superimposition, right? When, when you yourself are working, uh, you're working out and performing your own material. Uh, Then you have this uh, kind of doubling where you are the creator and the interpreter. And uh, I mean, we have many, uh, luckily, many examples of that in history. uh, And of course, many documents of that through recordings. I mean, Stravinsky conducting his own works, Strauss conducting his own works and Debussy playing his own works and so on. So we can go back and listen uh, from the beginning of the 20th century to all these great uh, composers and, and people that we feel are almost mythological or from another era, but we have their recorded works. And and how their performance differs from their notation, this is also fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean it is very often very far from their notation. Including Stravinsky, not not very far, but including Stravinsky, he has, for instance, slightly different metronome markings than the ones he marks uh, when he's the performer, the interpreter. So I think we are in any case divided and uh and we occupy these are two different roles. So it, um, it's interesting that you you notice that that it's true, You know we are, <laughs> um, and of course two this is one. what you this this um, strangeness you experience would have been, um, uh, I think, very foreign to uh, people until the end of the 19th century, when everyone was a composer to some degree or other and a performer. Um, I think part of the difficulty is that we uh, we have divided these roles up uh, and sealed them away from one another quite. Uh, quite tightly now. And, and that's a pity, yeah. of course. It's something that uh, then as interpreters, we have to fight to get back to that that place where we can understand the process of creation and how one goes from music, which is uh, heard in the mind or somehow improvised to what is then laid down in, in, in cold ink. Um, and in the past, that was not the case at all. Everybody was uh, also a composer. so.
0: You're totally right look back at the baroque period where even like realizing a figured bass or like sure. markings were rarely used because they're what you're right there's no distinction really between the composer and the performer because even if the piece is composed you were kind of realizing it live in your yeah. own sort of way and uh i guess it's it, interesting it, too what you,
1: it, like jazz right in jazz, in jazz it yeah. was a similar process where i think at the beginning um you know there was not a very tight division between uh, the the composers uh, arranger and uh, performer then maybe it became more specialized there as well once uh, of course uh, it became more academic as well
0: yeah you're playing a tune but you make it yours kind yeah. of you know yeah, you make know. it your sort of version so that's really really interesting so we kind of dodged a question though what does your Going forward, your 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 life look like your balance of life. I mean, between being a father and um, musician and clinical Obligated. psychoanalyst. I mean, I imagine Obligated. so. Yeah.
1: No, I yeah. mean it's it's an experiment, of course, and it's an experiment I want to follow through with, and I'm very excited about. Uh, but it is new, so I I'm not sure how it will look like. My uh, image of it. Is that uh, I will still, of course, be performing. I I love to play music and I love to be on the stage. I love also to to teach master classes and lectures and so on. So that that part will stay, but uh, it will diminish probably. You know, it will go. Down. I mean, at the high point, I was having um, more than a hundred concerts a year. Uh, and that was uh, very exciting and uh, there was a lot of adrenaline um, with that. But that's not something I wish for any longer, um, perhaps also a part of, of the <laughs> effect of the psychoanalytic process or a re-evaluation after becoming a parent um, and a re-evaluation after COVID. I-, I prefer to have fewer things, but to be able to devote uh, uh, myself more in depth to them um, and maybe perhaps to have more variety. Uh, so I plan to still play many, many concerts a year, but much less than than before. Um, And then I plan to have patients, um, uh, of course, not as many as uh, one uh, uh, therapist or analyst would be uh, full-time involved in the profession. Um, And all the things that come with patients, that means, uh, of course, uh, supervisions, uh, one's own continued analysis, uh, publishing papers and going to international congresses. and staying up to date with with uh the literature um and and then yes of course being a family man and a father um so we'll see we'll see how that works I, I believe it's possible Um, uh, it's not so common but I know of uh, a couple other uh musicians who are also not analysts but uh, psychotherapists uh, and they have been able to find uh, a kind of balance with it so I'm confident it can be done but we have to see you know until until we're thrown in the on the field uh uh, we don't know how the how the game will play
0: out so totally and you know i I can totally relate to what you're saying about kind of finding the balance i mean it's it's interesting because i after the pandemic um or sorry just before the pandemic i was going to take a year off of music essentially and just do the podcast because you know i'm fortunate to have my job and and uh i was like i kind of want to be just around like my kids are really young it's an important time of life and And uh, so I'd planned to take a year off of music. Little did I know it would turn into (laughs) about three years. But but uh, I haven't really pursued going back because I don't really, and a lot of musicians can't understand this. But I don't want to find myself in the concert hall on every Friday and Saturday evening, for example, all summer. Or like I have friends right now playing multiple back to back shows of a musical eight shows a week for the entire summer in a hot little boot. And it just, it doesn't sound attractive to me in my place of life right now. (laughs) So I'm looking at almost like a sabbatical. I can choose to go back, but currently I'm choosing to work on my own projects, my own musical interests of which I never thought I'd have the time to do. So like there's that old phrase. um, I can't remember it exactly, but it's something like, you know, uh, Is that good news or bad news? Well, ask me tomorrow (laughs) because you never you don't know until you get to see it play out. And even the good news could be tomorrow's bad news and the bad news might be good news. And I mean, look at hurting my hand years ago. It resulted in me kind of focusing down on the podcast because I couldn't play. Um, So it just you never know how things are really going to work out. And I've become kind of comfortable with that. And also to realize, and uh, that's part of the book club. I started up the book club for the podcast again, which I'll just quickly plug right here. So we're reading uh, The Music Lesson by Victor Wooten this, mm. this month, which is actually, I'm really enjoying it. It's kind of interesting in the sense that he's uh, kind of talking to some sort of spiritual guide or something. <laughs> and uh, oh, he, some he kind of goes through this, the book. Yeah, there's no such thing, like a great musician isn't like a clarinetist they're a musician, no matter what they do, whether they're playing pots and pans or bass guitar, they can pick up something and make music because they are a musician, you know, and so if you look at your life like that, yeah, you can, (laughs) you can do whatever you need to do it to make it work. And there's no kind of shame in taking time away or time off or taking a sabbatical. I mean, sure, university professors get a sabbatical, why don't I, you know, (laughs) yeah,
1: I think that that was (laughs) also a a lesson of the of the pandemic for many of us No, that things are Mm -hmm. Things still go on. Uh, some people, you know, it was, uh, of course, highly personal. Some people really suffered from from not uh, being able to access a stage. And, and for some people, it was really extreme, the, the suffering. Uh, for others, uh, it was a realization that they didn't need the stress of it. Or that there was all kinds of uh, approaches to it. Um, for me, it's very hard to separate what the effect was of the... Of the pandemic and this kind of big world event and everything that that meant for musicians from the paternity um because uh becoming a father happened at the same time for me um so that that's what uh complicates a little bit my when i look back what was what you know trying to separate the effects of the uh, the world events from the from my very own uh little family um in any case yes the the shift uh, happened and i agree with you i mean for me it's it's the same there is of course um there was a certain blessing in seeing my daughter grow uh, and to be with her daily uh, for the first few months of her life it's um, it was a luxury we can call it that yeah in, in the context of the pandemic but it was a certain luxury which i would have never given myself probably um, had mm-hmm. the music world been churning and uh, going on as it did at high pace, because of uh, fear of missing out, right? Uh, we we want to be on the stage and we want to play and we want to say yes when we're called for something. Uh, so I'm not sure that I would have uh, had the, the the possibility to the courage to do that. But since everything stopped, since everything was on hold. Um, I think that that allowed many of us to um, to some degree or other relax into the acceptance that that was the the current situation yeah,
0: yeah it 's kind of an unprecedented thing i don 't know that many other generations have really True. experienced it in the way that we did and it was very it was very interesting and strange at the same time i don 't know I just want to jump in here and say to the audience there 's four people still watching we had We had six at one point, but two have bowed out i don 't know where they went but um In about 15 minutes, I'd like to do a couple of listener questions. Um, If not, of course, I can keep asking away as I do. (laughs) But if you do think of anything, you can go ahead and post it in the chat or you can, uh, you know, request to call in live. That's a new feature we're testing. And if you can find the button to do that. I will accept you to come on and ask a question, which would be really good. So, And those listening after the fact, these interviews are recorded live and you can check them out at clarinet.com uh, at, or on YouTube, the YouTube channel, to actually stream them and check them out. But if you want to be here live when they're happening, you can join that at uh, clarinet.com slash live after the fact. Um, so let's not forget to talk about your music. <laughs> so you have also a new CD out or a new yeah. album, I guess. I'm new album, myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah it's it's an album Moonwalk. and a CD. Yeah, it's called Moonwalk. <laughs> um it's been out now for a while but uh, of course it it came out um it was also a strange time for for CD releases uh during the pandemic for a whole bunch of reasons. Um uh, also logistical problems, right? Uh bottlenecks and so on. But uh, in any case the the CD uh came out um uh, uh, it's it's been out now over a year. And uh, it was a a, a real passion project for me and for my father. Um, He's a pianist and conductor. And it's something I had kind of had as a desire since I was a child or definitely a teenager, that one day it would be uh, very nice to record something together. And specifically the Brahms clarinet sonata, I knew I wanted to do that with him. Um, And then we decided to build a project uh, around the Brahms sonatas, uh, the Sansans sonata. Uh, And three little miniature pieces by Debussy, Busoni, and Reger. Uh, And out came uh, this album, which was uh, recorded uh, before the pandemic, but uh, of course came out uh, uh, quite a bit after um and as a matter of fact our last editing session was um um in beginning of march of 2020 and uh, we we caught the last uh, flight we could catch out of uh, out of germany to go back to italy at that time so uh it it really was a uh, kind of sealing uh, uh, the old era um uh, yeah, it's a, it's an old streaming platform, so it can be it can be heard on on Spotify, Cobus Tidal. Uh, I believe it's on YouTube as well, or it can be purchased as a CD, which uh, I highly advise not for the for the um, purchasing aspect of it, but uh, because of the uh, notes, uh, the, C- the CD notes, the booklet, which I th- it's something I really lament that people don't have access to. Um, um, when we listen to music on streaming, unless you use a service like Kobo's and you're able to download the PDF, then uh, you are cut out of all the interesting stuff and original things, which are uh, sometimes in good CD booklets. Um, and uh, I believe that our booklet is is interesting, actually, in that way, because um, I don't know if you had a chance, Sean, to, to look through it, but uh, it has um, it's kind of written out as a as a as a conversation between the five composers featured on the CD um and, and it's this conversation is using absolutely real materials from their own letters and uh criticisms and uh, diaries and so on uh, so it seems like a conversation between them about specific musical topics um, but as it turns out, it's not fictional at all. It's uh, It's the, the concept of the conversation is fictional, but the 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 texts are actually real uh, by these composers. That was a labor of love for me because I, you can imagine, one has to read through thousands of letters and diary entries and so on to find what could be interesting and relevant uh, to construct such a fictional conversation. Um, but that's something that I, I lament that, uh, people that access our recording, uh, on, um, uh, streaming services that they don't get, uh, to, to read something, which in my mind is actually an important part of the project.
0: The whole concept of an album is really getting lost. And I just pulled up your, uh, the PDF you sent me, I will read this in detail later Then, now that I know the backstory. That's really, really interesting. Um, but yeah, this is actually a little six, uh, 36 page booklet. It comes with actually, the
1: CD. It actually reached the limit of it. Uh, we would not have been able to have more text in it. Um, really? And, wow. that, and that was part of the difficulty when I spoke about logistical bottlenecks. Uh, the CD was ready, the texts were written, the graphics was made, and uh, suddenly could not go on the market because uh, it was the lack of paper. I don't know if you remember, but around uh, mm. this, what was it? the summer of... Uh, uh, what was that?
0: Twenty twenty one.
1: I think. Yeah, I think in yeah. 20, summer twenty twenty one. Shortages. Yeah, there were shortages. Yeah, and and we couldn't. Uh, yeah. Um. So, it was it was a bit funny with this uh with this paper shortages. I, I never thought a, a CD would be held up because of that. But uh, um. So yeah. But but yeah. The, you know, one can nowadays still produce uh, invent such an object as an album. Um, the the problem I see is that it is uh, there is something dated about it. But the people that do um, buy albums, which which there are still plenty of people who do, um, they they really love uh, the object and and they it really means a lot I think to the people buying the CDs that uh, the object has a physical existence and uh, the the notes and the image and the images and the artwork is accessible to them physically.
0: Well, it's so interesting, too, because, like, I I am a big CD collector still. I have a lot of CDs, and and I've heard CDs are coming back, though, almost the way the vinyl did, because people have sort of realized that CDs are actually a little more effective than vinyl. They're portable. (laughs) They're not going to have any, they don't get dirty. Um, They're a lot smaller. They're actually a lot, you know, I think they're a lot cheaper. Vinyl has kind of gotten ridiculous, but, but I also really like the CD. And one reason I do like it is because if I ever meet the artist too, I can get them to sign it. I mean, when I met Tom York of Radiohead there, my, you know, I, he signed my copy of Kid A. I mean, that was a life altering moment. I still have it on my wall, (laughs) you know, like, so what, what do people get them to sign nowadays? Their, their iPhone? You know, it's, uh, Hey, can you sign my Spotify, like, <laughs>
1: yeah, that's that, that's a setting, that's a setting where we, uh, we are still able to, um, to, to travel with CDs now to festivals, to, to concerts. And, and then when, when people hear us live, um, and the CD is available at the break or can, can be signed, that's, that's a situation, as you say, where people are, are still, uh, perceiving the value of the object. I, and I'm with you. I love, I love vinyl, you know, and I have a big collection of vinyl, uh, but for somebody like me who has had to move several times between countries and uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a pain to travel with these kilos and yeah. kilos and kilos of records. So I, I definitely, you know, I understand the, the, the beauty and the um, enormous wealth of information we can access through streaming. Um, but we lose something uh, as well there. So, um, it actually yeah, the, reminds
0: me, I was thinking of... Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, nothing. I just saying that there is something a little bit utopic or utopistic about, about the idea of a physical support for music, but I still very much oh, support it.
0: Totally. And I was just thinking, who was I talking to about this? And I realized it was actually in this book again. <laughs> uh, they actually had a really interesting moment between the two people where he said something like, a radio that receives all channels at once is not doing its job until it chooses to exclude." almost everything except just what you want to listen to. And I thought he said, if it was getting all the music at once, it would be chaos. And to me, that's how it feels listening to Spotify yeah. is I can't focus on what I'm listening to. Cause I know that everything else is out there and I, I find myself more easily bored by what comes up. Whereas when you put in a CD, like you pick a CD to take for your for in your car for the day. That's what you have to listen to for the day. Yeah. You know, it's very that, that, that focus, the way it kind of lasers you in on what you're listening to is actually, in my opinion, better it's more effective <laughs> way to enjoy art so it, oh. it, it requires a t- intention and attention which we don't have anymore so like for example if your cd if i put it in my player i'm pretty much now committed if i'm going to go for a walk let's say with it to listen to that for the next hour unless i choose to stop listening to music <laughs> yeah. so i don't have every other composed piece of all time available to switch to if for some reason i get bored or don't like it or want to, ch- you know what I mean? Like, it's very strange that we have allowed music to come, like, come to us like this. And Our, that so many people seem to enjoy it.
1: There there are some positive aspects, of course, but they just ought to be taken advantage of. For instance, when I teach yeah, um, interpretation of music, uh, clarinetists and chamber music, I am so amazed at how lucky these young players are to have access, I mean, easy access. For instance, to all these historical recordings that I was mentioning before, you can listen to Mahler play his fifth uh, symphony on the piano. I mean, it's, uh, it, w- w- you know, this was impossible. When I was a student in, in the university, it was not that long ago. Uh, and still, I, I had to search <laughs> these things out in the archives uh, of the university library. And if they didn't have it, I had to order it. And maybe it was not in print anymore. Um, so I. Now that we do have access to all these things on YouTube, really, on, on the palm of our hands, uh, I do encourage, especially young people who are training as musicians, uh, to go out there and and find these things and listen to them and, and develop their own opinions about what they like and dislike and realize uh, what a big variety in interpretation there can be. That things are were much less standardized than they are today. So that's that's for me a little strange, you know, the fact that we have all this information available but the the push or the destiny of interpretation has been towards a higher standardization. Uh, and back then when they had little to into no access to, to things besides live music, uh, the differences were very big between one interpreter and the other, or between one interpreter's interpretation and his same interpretation one year later. Um, so uh, there are positive things. We just have to, to reach for them.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's it's just a matter of, for me, focusing in on what we really want to do. And the, the hard part is ex- choosing what to exclude, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, know? for sure. For sure. When you have infinity at your fingertips, you know, that's Absolutely. The... But just, just today, it I used was... used wisely.
1: Just today, I was listening to the uh, the, the the end of uh, Histoire du Soldat. There is this moral uh, in, in text, the poetry. Um, and it says mm-hmm. something along the side of, uh, you know, you cannot have the past and the present as well. And, um, uh, one, uh, uh, one happiness is great, but if you have two happinesses, they cancel each other out, you know? So, uh, there is something about the exclusive, uh, aspect of a happy moment or something beautiful is, is very limited. It is a single thing. You know, it doesn't have the possibility to, to be there alongside something else. And the fact that today we are inundated if we want, or even with beauty can, Mm, detract uh value from it uh so so i i thought of this my association with, was with these words you know that if you just uh, because it's kind of what victor Wooten is uh, saying as i understand it also about radio stations that you have to operate a process of selection um and and then you can access some degree of meaning but otherwise it's just cacophony yeah it's just the the yeah. um, um simultaneous presence presence of everything at once even if it's beautiful it I mean, at least in the kitchen, it doesn't work.
0: <laughs> it's overwhelming. Yeah, you can't just put everything in the pot and have oh, a good no. meal. It takes planning. And yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a great analogy, actually. I know I love cooking analogies. <laughs> there was also an Onion article yesterday. This is right on point. It said something like, woman trying to live in the moment, continues to get interrupted by future moments or something like that <laughs> that's great yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's great, i yeah. laughed i was like that's that's so true that's the challenge being present in the, the moment that's still coming yeah, you know, right, that's, right. that's the weird part that's important for us <laughs> so,
1: especially on the stage not just uh, not just in life
0: Absolutely. So before I move on, I've got 10 questions at the end here I want to quickly ask, um, kind of rapid fire. And then we'll do some listener questions. It looks like we got five people here now, which is great. Um, so listeners, think of something to ask and uh, post it in the chat or tune in, call in, I mean. Um, but I just wanted to quickly ask, is there something that you wish I would ask that, that I didn't ask that you want to bring up today on the show? Um
1: no, no, I was very happy with our conversation. I think we we need to uh, yeah, we need to exercise the the ability to select and leave things out.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's the takeaway, I think. Do you have any questions for me?
1: No. It was just a no? great yeah. I mean, it was a surprise okay. to see that uh, we have this new format now. I wasn't prepared for it and I'm I'm happy. I'm
0: sorry I meant to mention, yeah. No, but but
1: I'm happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy mention, that yeah. we are we're also moving on, you know, that things change, that uh, this is also a good sign that we are fluid. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I did I had to do a lot of thinking. I as I closed up the podcast for at the end of last year, I just kind of realized that, you know a lot has changed in 8 years and it seems like it has to go video and, and what does that mean for me and I'm also really sick of social media and how can I create kind of a bit of a community without spending all my time on Facebook? And so this live platform that lets people tune in to me is a much more intimate um experience and then of course though this will go live on YouTube later for Kind of the mass consumption out there in in the wild, but (laughs) so, so I've got 10 questions and uh, maybe someday I'll assemble these all into a little blog post or something that we can hear what everyone had to say. But uh, um, I don't think I had any sort of lightning round back in the day when you first came on. So these hopefully are all new, but we'll see. (laughs) What is your very first or most profound musical memory?
1: Uh, For me, it has to do with, uh, with the home, you know, with music being made at home because uh, there were many musicians in my family and the kind of the feeling of waking up in my bed, warm, comfortable, and hearing some Chopin or Schumann being played on the piano across the wall. um, That's, I think, what the state with me of music is this uh, very cozy domestic uh, aspect of it.
0: I love that comforting almost. And I love how that album is with your father. Actually, I meant to mention that I'm having a um james campbell on soon it turns out his wow. son is a guitarist and they they did an album together too and have worked together for years so many great family affair here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the best piece of musical advice you ever got and who gave it to you or what is a piece of advice you think people should ignore actually
1: um, i you know the best uh it's hard to say the best, of course, because uh, one, any moment uh, I could come up with something different. But I'll speak about something very simple that uh, Eric Oeprich, uh the, the early clarinetist uh, or periodist, I went to clarinetist, uh, told me when I met him many years ago in Amsterdam. I went to visit him, and I was unsure about my career path at the time. Uh, and he says, "What? Well, what do you like? What do you like to do?" And he said, "Well, I like to play chamber music." I said, okay, then go for it. And I mean, it's something so simple. It's really, but, you know, very often these simple moments can be, they can mark. And uh, and for me, that was a simple moment that had an effect because until that moment, I just didn't think one could be a chamber musician as a clarinetist. Um, and of course, this came from Eric, who had been, you know, the pioneer of the early clarinet. So he had invented the whole thing, how to build the instruments, how to play them. Um, so this was really somebody who had been courageous with these choices, had moved from the US to Europe to, to, to be on, in the early musical scene. Um, so when he told me that, uh, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? I mean, if I'm lucky, I'll be an orchestra musician, um, which would have been fine, no doubt, also. But actually, I just went for the chamber music direction, and it worked out for me. Um, career wise as well and I'm I'm very thankful that that happened and that was possible so I think back to eric and I would like to to thank him for that because I think it was uh it's the most obvious thing but I think sometimes young people need to hear it well what what do you want and if it's not there let's find ways of creating it or or let's find ways Absolutely. to to uh to to connect with people that can help you construct this niche and so on so that that would be that I think
0: I love that. And, you know, it's, it's totally true. And I think for me, a big thing has been realizing that your career path doesn't have to be the same as your teachers or your colleagues. And indeed, it can't be because it's your career, yeah. you know, yeah. so it's got to be something new or different. And, and also the hardest thing, which came latest for me, was that people also don't need to understand it. As long as you understand it and it works for you, sure. it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what they think, yeah. <laughs> you know. So um, what piece of music or album specifically changed your life the most
1: uh, I I, I often think about um, Richard Stoltzman's Copland Concerto. Uh, there was a series, uh, a mini series of, I believe, six episodes, which was done by the BBC in the um, early 90s, mid 90s. Uh, and um, uh, it was uh, called Concerto. And uh, Dudley Moore, the pianist and, and comedian, he was uh, kind of the presenter of that. And in each episode, there would be a different concerto with a great soloist from the time. Um, James Galway was there and um, Alicia de la Rocha and always it was still St. Thomas with the London Symphony and uh, it was a great one hour show where the first part was all the the musicians meeting and coming up with an interpretation and interviews and jokes and uh, you really could see this piece coming to life and at the end it would follow a whole performance uh, done in a very theatrical way uh, by the BBC. Um, and I just remember the Copland concerto and how, uh, how Dick Stoltzman was playing it. And it was, wow. Never heard something like that when I was a young kid, you know, nine, 10 years old. Um, so I think that, that gave me, uh, well, a certain increase in my love for the clarinet. And then when I, when I, uh, met uh, Dick Stoltzman later, it, it was, uh, yeah, like one of these times in life, which I've been quite lucky to have a few times. Of a meeting uh, a childhood hero, um, so I'd have to go with with that moment, and I, and I and and which brings me to say that I think television should offer these kind of programs because I think I'm not the only one who was so touched by good cultural programming on television.
0: Yeah, it's something lacking these days, it seems. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, have you ever cracked a clarinet? If so, what's the story? And if not, Ooh. what's your secret? Yes,
1: I mean, I've had, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've had many instruments in my life by now. And many of them cracked at, at a point or another because of weather or because of, um, well, sometimes not being smart about it, Yeah, coming with a very cold instrument and uh, quickly playing it in a warm environment um, <clears throat> with period instruments with historical instruments, which I also play they're mostly made of boxwood and it's a it's a wood which absorbs a lot of water so when i've had recording sessions with historical instruments being played for many hours a day in a recording session uh they suffer from this but the latest crack i've had was very silly i just uh, i dropped a, a clarinet it fell on its bell luckily so it was just a bell that needed to be replaced but hey that's what's insurance what insurance is for and uh <laughs> and uh, that's it
0: so what's your care routine for your instruments do you use like orange peels or some sort of humid pack or what you...
1: um well you know the places i've lived uh most of the time i don't need to be that careful because uh denmark for instance is okay. is quite humid or, or not crazy humid but quite humid all year round. so there's not really a problem with dryness uh, when i actually find myself um, with the dry problems is when i come to new york city uh, or mm. some places in, in North America um, during the winter, where they use um, heavy mm, heating systems that are drying out the air. Um, but honestly, I, I believe that I'm uh, I'm just there long enough that I suffer from it more than the instrument does. I mean, you know, <laughs> in the concerts you have, yeah. you can feel the dry throat and and the I I do humidify the reeds. That's uh, what I do when I come to, to New York City, for instance, in the in the winter. Uh, but it's something I don't need to do mostly when I'm in Europe.
0: And for the reeds, are you using um, like your own sort of invention? I mean, I think it was Richie Holly who came on and he'd invented some kind of a little ah. reed box or something. Or, I have, I have this, uh,
1: this plexiglass, I think it's called Reeds and Stuff, the maker. It's a German maker and uh, you can keep 10 reeds in this kind of uh, plexiglass environment with a hygrometer and a sponge. Um, and uh, I think it's quite handy and uh, it's nice to have it, even though I, I only use it mostly in emergencies, uh, the sponge. Uh, and the hygrometer Uh, it's i have a digital hygrometer in my clarinet case and i do find uh, that's useful it also tells temperature and so when i come to a new place that i don't know so well i immediately know pretty accurately what which uh, barrel i should be using and uh, how far to pull out and so on because now i have some some feeling and knowledge about the instrument uh, how, how it deals with different temperatures and humidities
0: very interesting so those in the in the uh Watching here. I've got five more questions I can whip out if we need, but I want to give the uh, chance, if you do have a question, to click that call in button and uh, you can ask it live on air here. So if you're brave or willing or interested, go ahead and do that. Um, Or you can comment it in the chat. You don't have to. And I got some more I can line up here if we need (laughs) them. Let's start with some of these extra ones. So if you had to live every day of your life by a single quote, which would it be?
1: I think I I don't know uh, uh, who said this. It's a very uh, very famous quote. Um, uh, I don't know if it was Socrates or now it'll be. Uh, it should be an obvious one, but it's uh, this: know thyself. Uh, I think that uh, especially with my psychoanalytic uh, uh, passion and and uh, future as a clinician, um, I think knowing knowing oneself, um, getting getting to to learn to construct one's story one's narrative um interpreting one's life and uh, figuring out that it, there is no bottom to it yeah that there is always um some surprises uh unexpected things good and bad and so on but being engaged with one story um i think that's very important and um uh, i th- i think for a musician it's uh, it's crucial, yeah, that we are engaged with the with the music, with the composer's story, um, and with whatever uh, is laid out on the page for us, and with the people around us, with our colleagues, uh, both on a human level, uh, but also as as good listeners, as good mm, conversation partners in chamber music and the orchestra, and so on.
0: I don't think you could have picked a better quote with your whole multi-career <laughs> path here and it's it's true actually it's if it's hard to know yourself it's crazy that we can think we know other people isn't that yeah. crazy
1: but we do you know we, you can you can live life very well without uh, knowing much about yourself or other people it's possible it's absolutely possible but it's not as it's yeah. not as fun I think it's not as engaging
0: as being <laughs> open totally if you could go back in time and have dinner with any person in history who would it be mm-hmm.
1: Again, tough to choose, eh? Huh? But, uh, um, you know, I would, I would actually say Freud, Uh mm-hmm. again because I, I think Freud left us so many writings, and uh, you know, the complete works are in the couple of tens of thousands of pages. But so we know what he thought, and and we know his process, and uh, but still, uh, with all his faults and and all his genius, I, I would like, I would have liked to meet the man uh, have a dinner with him and ask him some questions. And, um, um, because I think he was a special man. He was somebody who, um, was, uh, had a way to, uh, to, uh, construct and understand, uh, the human psyche, um, which undeniably had had, has had more effect, um, on mental health than, than anyone before or after him.
0: If you could start your career over again, what other Career, might you choose if you couldn't do music? I mean, I think we might have an idea. <laughs> well,
1: I'll, no, I'll 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 uh, I'll leave psychoanalysis out of it because I think that okay, that, that it, it's not fair since that's already. Um, <laughs> well, um, I love history. Actually, you know, I was always interested in, in social studies, and I think psychology, um, music, also with its historical aspect and uh, historical performance practice. So maybe I would have been some kind of uh, historian or something like that. But I must say it's it's difficult for me to. Um, then I would have had to teach and to have a you know a very good constant contact with uh, with uh, other historians and with students. Because I think what I what I love in everything I do in music as in in the psychoanalytic circles and, and clinical work is that you are working with human beings all the time. Uh and, and yes, there is lots of studying, lots of practising behind closed doors. Um but uh, this is not what I'm <laughs> what I, I, I where I get my most of my energy from. It's uh something that has to be done and it's actually great to do it. Um but uh so for that reason I think anything I would do would have to would have would need to have this practical aspect of being constantly in touch um with with others and in dialogue
0: personal connection is so important no matter what you choose yeah. it's interesting yeah it's, it reminds me there's a there's a band i like locally in canada here called matthew good and he uh his first album not really album but like ep i guess years ago released was called history teacher because he always thought he'd be a history teacher Yeah, <laughs> so it kind of reminds me of yeah, that so but. So. um so what do you do outside of music what are your hobbies on the weekend or what what
1: well the, the, what else <laughs> makes you tick? Honestly there isn't that much besides everything I've told you because uh, <laughs> it
0: sounds like you're pretty busy Yeah
1: you know I mean when I in these years uh, being a father and a musician actually more than full time plus the, the the my training my studies uh, that has meant that I'm very busy in the evenings when I'm not playing concerts I'm studying I'm attending classes I'm reading a lot and and studying and writing articles and uh, so it's in this moment uh, it's very it's it's not boring at all it's very exciting um because i'm involved with uh, with my studies and i'm always trying to understand especially as i dive onto the the active like clinical side of it uh, i feel the urgency of uh of uh finding out more and more and learning more and more from other clinicians and practitioners um so in the moment you know honestly it's just uh, living out these two passions uh and uh and spending uh wonderful relaxed time with uh my family when it's uh when i can cut out these uh moments with them uh that's
0: that's it okay fair enough that makes perfect sense i can relate okay. <laughs> although i still try to stuff too much in i'm trying to do like gardening nice. and all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. it's like oh man where do you I need 26 or 30 hours a day sometimes <laughs> <laughs> So last question here, uh, what is something about you, such as a collection or experience or a celebrity you've met or anything that I would just never think to ask about, never guess?
1: Well, well, there was a funny story. Now, I mean, it just came up randomly because you said uh, if I've ever met a celebrity, let's say a real celebrity outside of the classical, our classical music colleagues. Um, no, I was in a, I was playing a concert in. Um, in Copenhagen and uh, i was wearing kind of a fancy jacket um uh, uh and uh, i feel these these fingers on my uh shoulder while i'm having coffee uh, just before my concert in the coffee shop and i turn around and it's um um um, the like, lead singer of Aerosmith, um, Steve Tyler. Oh wow, Steve Tyler. <laughs> I mean, you, you couldn't mistake it for anybody else because it—you know—it was like July, and he had a fur coat and black nail polish, and uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, his face, yeah. And uh, and then he's like, "Hey, man," he's like, "Okay, uh, hey, Steve," and, <laughs> and so where did you get that coat? Uh, I got it in New York. Uh, oh. Oh yeah, I know that man. But I mean, who made it? And I said, "Okay, it was uh, John Varvatos." And then he turns to it, like some friends he had in the corner and is like, "You see, guys, I told you it was John Varvatos." Uh, it's a completely <laughs> silly story, but uh, you know, I felt literally brushed uh, by greatness there, and especially because That's you know that funny. that same uh, evening I was playing uh, together with my colleagues for uh, like a couple thousand, maybe a thousand people, or so. It was for us a good big classical concert. But then, of course, the next day, I, I read uh, in the papers that he had played uh, the Royal Arena, which I think is 35,000 people. So so that was nice. And at the end, he said, uh, all right, man, rock on. And I said, uh, you too, rock on, Steve. <laughs> so, um, but uh, that was That's that crazy. was funny and very unexpected. I can tell you That's that funny. when you're faced with, with him.
0: There's this randomly on the street? Somewhere? Well, it
1: was in, in Tivoli, which is the amusement park. Um, and oh, okay. a few moments before that uh, my colleague saw him he was you know having this huge uh, pink uh, cotton candy uh eating it in the street <laughs> he was just having a good time you know waiting for his gig um and, yeah. um, and, and but i guess uh, and, and you know i found out we had the same jacket and of course i i praised that jacket even more since he touched it so <laughs> but that's, that's a very point. a very silly story about mythical creatures
0: I love this question because I hear the craziest stuff. I learned all about Jerome Bunky has like some weird Tupperware collection, I, old Tupperware or something, and and also uh, uh, Richie Holly again. He he. I guess one sat in front of Michael Jackson at a concert yeah. or something. Speaking of Michael Jackson, I meant to ask your whole album concept, Moonwalk, nice. not to loop back too far, but but you mentioned how it's sort of about looking back at music, but we're kind of moving forward. Like it appears like we're looking back, even though we're looking forward. Mm. Was that a Michael Jackson reference? It is a Michael
1: Jackson reference. Kind of whole... <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a reference to Michael Jackson's uh, dance move, which is something which, which yeah, the, okay. you know, in itself, he took from the uh, people were doing it before him in in... in simplified forms and so on, yeah. and he took it and perfected it and and really made it famous, right? I mean, when we think of of the moonwalk, then it is Michael Jackson moonwalk. Uh, but uh, the way that this uh, came up to me was was by simple association, because I was thinking about the music on the CD, um, for instance, the Brahms, but also Uh These are sonatas which are written very late. I mean, uh, the Brahms are written, of course, in the 1890s, but Sansans in the 1920s. And it's music which sounds much older uh, it's, you know, I cannot think that Saint-Saint was composed uh, 10 years after Rite of Spring or after and uh and, and so when I thought of this, I thought that there is something, um, you know, the importance of looking back and of inheritance and um, the importance of connecting with our past and building something uh, which is of the present, um, uh, even though we are Accessing our past, yeah, and this was of course uh, a reference to the dance move itself, where you know it looks when Michael Jackson does the move, it looks like uh, he's walking forward, but he's actually going backwards. So there is this, there are both elements in the dance move, and that's what uh, attracted me to it as a title. Um, and of course, the the aspect of inheritance is present because of the partnership between me and my father on the CD. Uh, as as a duo between father and son, the question of inheritance and the transmission uh, of musical passion is uh, is there as well.
0: I love that. So much thought put into it. Well, thank you so much, Tomaso, for coming on the thank program today. Uh, where can people, yeah, absolutely. Where can people check you out online and, and they can stream your album, I guess, but also can they buy the CD directly on your website? Sure. You
1: can find information on my website. That's uh, longquish It's my last name. You, you can see it in, in the video. Uh, .com. Um, and uh, then, yes, you can stream it on every platform and uh, you can buy it. Uh, I believe you can even find it on eBay or Amazon. But uh, otherwise, you can order it from the um, nova Antiqua, which is the label. And uh, who has, uh, by the way, a very wonderful policy uh, for pricing where mm-hmm. they send you the CD for free. And then you pay something as you wish after you've heard the CD and you value Uh, as you wish, the experience of listening to it. Um, So I find that a very nice format and uh, one of the reasons that uh, I love the Novantiqua label here in Italy.
0: That's even better than the Radiohead way back in the day. They launched that concept back in like 2007 of the pay-what-you-want. and I remember I was one of the fans who paid nothing. I have to say because yeah. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like the new album. <laughs> However, I did order the uh, the big box set <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> they got you. <laughs> it was like, a, uh, yeah, they got me. And I went to like four concerts on that tour, so they got me somehow. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, that's so interesting. Like put a value on it now that you know the work. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah very right yeah, it's
1: cool. a, it's a, a way to detach you know the the this market idea the market value of something which is artistic how how can you give yeah, it a value yeah. i mean you can listen to it and then understand what this means for you uh, and and i think that's a very wonderful new and honest way to uh, to do it
0: that is so interesting well thank you so much again for coming on today out of respect for your time and everybody's watching I appreciate everybody the audience uh, you for coming on and uh, everyone for taking the time to, to be here today and um, look at that we're just about on an hour again I'm Excellent. keeping these <laughs> pretty good
1: thank you Sean it was Perfect, a pleasure so. and, uh, until next time
0: thank you so much bye bye now be absolutely well. hopefully not five years no I hope not <laughs> uh, many things might happen yeah ciao yes yes bye bye sooner than that <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>. bye <laughs> The Clarinet Podcast is brought to you in part by one of my favorite products ever, Bovida two-way humidity control packs. I live in a super dry and cold climate in Canada, and so taking care of my instruments is a real challenge. However, it's effortless with Bovida. Every three months, I just replace the Bovida pack in my case, and I know my clarinets will be comfy and cozy inside. If you use cane reeds, there's also a mini version that fits inside most reed cases and keeps your reeds at their best, so they're ready to play when you are. Check out Bovida's offerings for clarinetists at bovidainc.com and use code CLARINET at checkout to save 10% on your next purchase. Click the link in the description below to learn more.